Chapter Two of the Lady from Nowhere by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Chapter Two: The Death Card. If the appearance of the room was amazing, that of the dead woman was not less so. The body was lying loosely in an armchair, with sprawling legs and arms, like a sawdust doll. The head lay limply on the shoulder, and a yellow cord. Evidently torn from a near curtain, was bound tightly round the lean throat. The distorted face, the protruding tongue, the bulging eyes, and discoloured skin all showed that the poor creature had been strangled in the most remorseless manner. Before her was placed a low cane table, on the yellow coverlet of which a pack of cards was spread out face downward, but in the lap of the dead woman lay another card with the face upward. It was the ace of spades. Mrs. Presk, noting it for the first time, gave a screech of mingled horror and surprise. "'The death card!' she gasped, stepping back. "'Lord, how awful!' "'What do you mean by the death card?' asked Gebb, sharply. "'Why,' said Mrs. Presk, astonished at the question, which to her seemed unnecessary, "'it's the card in the pack as stands for death.' when you turn up the ace of spades you know it's time to order your coffin rubbish said gebb humbug roared the inspector and they both shrugged their shoulders to show their contempt for such superstition mrs presk shook her head gloomily talk won't alter the matter she said pointing to the card there's the death token and there's the corpse what do you make of that i make this said gebb dryly that the murderer must be a person of imagination. "'He ought to be shot, the blackguard,' growled Lackland, play-acting with a corpse. I wonder what they were fooling with cards for. Looks like a madman's work to me. What do you say, Gebb?' Gebb said nothing at the moment. He was examining the dead woman, who was arrayed with unusual splendour quite in keeping with the room, yet too richly for the front parlour of a fifth-rate lodging-house, Mrs. Ligram's body was that of an old woman close upon sixty years of age, with a wrinkled face and a profusion of silvery-white hair turned back in the style of Marie Antoinette. It was dressed in an old-fashioned dinner-dress of white silk, trimmed with valuable lace, and this was designed so as to show the lean neck and bony arms of the wearer. Anything more incongruous than that poor clay clothed in such costly garments can scarcely be imagined. It seemed to accentuate the grimness of the crime, almost to elevate a sordid murder to the level of tragedy. "'Did Miss Ligram usually dress like this?' asked Gebb, turning to Mrs. Presk. "'Every evening,' replied the landlady promptly. "'She must have been eccentric,' was Gebb's comment on this reply. "'Very eccentric, sir. I don't think she was quite right here,' and the landlady tapped her head significantly. "'A crazy Jane?' questioned Lackland. "'She was, and she wasn't,' answered Mrs. Presk, enigmatically. "'She wasn't mad enough to be shut up, but she acted in a queerer way than most people. Look at this room, and all its lights. Every night it was the same. She usually dined off a chop and potatoes, yet she dressed in silk and lace to eat them, and—thus far Mrs. Presk, with her eyes on the corpse, had proceeded volubly, when suddenly— Still staring at the dead woman, she stopped, and her jaw dropped. Motionless as a stone image, she stood looking, 
and then, with an ejaculation, she ran out of the room. The detective and the inspector looked at her vanishing form, looked at the corpse, looked at one another, and failed to understand her action. "'What the devil does that mean?' said Gebb, with surly amazement. "'Only the devil knows,' retorted Lackland grimly. "'But if that jade is hiding anything of importance, the sooner we get it out of her, the better. You're a bit of a lawyer, Gebb, so I'll bring back Mrs. Presk, and you'll examine her.' "'No,' said Gebb, detaining his friend. "'Let her go now. I'll get the truth out of her to-morrow.' "'By George you will, will you?' grumbled Lackland, annoyed that his advice was not taken. "'And what if you don't get charge of the case?' "'I'll grin and bear it, I suppose,' retorted the other. "'But I'll work my hardest to be given the handling of the affair, for it strikes me that it will prove a sight more difficult than either of us guesses. This room is a rum one, ain't it?' and that pack of cards aren't there for nothing. Then there is the dead woman's dress, and the landlady's queer conduct. Oh, you can bet, Inspector, there's a jolly lot more in these things than meets the eye, and I'm the man to find out what they all mean. You can blow your own trumpet, I see, said Lackland dryly. Gebb laughed, in no wise embarrassed. My trumpeter's dead from overwork, he replied coolly. If I don't praise myself, no one else will, However, I'll see tomorrow if the bigwigs will let me run this show in my own way. Now you go and look round the house, Lackland, and leave me here to examine the room. What about the body? asked the inspector, dominated by Gebb's strong will. We'll let it lie here as it is, until the doctor comes. I told that policeman who brought Mrs. Presk to the station to knock up an M.D. By George, sir, one would think you were inspector here, sputtered the indignant Lackland. Am I nobody? You're a good fellow, too good to get your monkey up for nothing. You let me look after this murder myself. I'll do you a good turn some other time. Well, I'll let you have your own way for once. You're no fool, I will say, muttered Lackland, and withdrew to look through the house. He knew that Gebb was very clever, and in his heart was not unwilling to avail himself of the detective's assistance. Therefore, he left him to his own devices, and set out to seek Mrs. Presk in the kitchen. Having found her, he made her show him the house, but judiciously refrained from commenting on her late conduct. He left the elucidation of that to Gebb. Left to himself, the detective examined the dead woman and the room with minute attention to detail, keeping up a running commentary the while on his discoveries. He had a habit of talking aloud when alone, as if to emphasize his opinions, and, while examining the boudoir, soliloquized with appropriate actions like a stage-player. "'The furniture is quite in order,' he murmured, his keen eyes roving hither and thither. Therefore there can have been no struggle. The murderer was no intruder, but was expected. A visitor. Perhaps a friend. He—let me presume the criminal to be a man— he no doubt entered and was kindly received by the deceased. Here is a bottle, and two glasses with wine in each, so the two were friendly enough to drink in company. There is a chair on either side of this table whereon the cards are laid out. The dead body remains in the one nearest the wall, so I expect the visitor sat in the other with his back to the door. Were they playing cards? I think not, as in that case the whole pack would not be laid out in this fashion." "'I have it!' cried Gebb, 
smiting his open palm with his fist. The visitor was telling Miss Ligram's fortune. He placed the cards in that position and told her to draw one. She drew the ace of spades, which yet lies in her lap, and when face to face with the omen of death, he killed her. Here the detective paused to consider if he was correct in assuming the assassin to be a man. Fortune-telling, especially by cards, is usually indulged in by the other sex. But would a woman, however cruel, have so brutally strangled her unsuspecting hostess and, as it may be assumed, friend? Gebb examined the chair on which the visitor had sat, and found traces of tobacco ash. Cigarette ash? he pronounced it, after an examination. The quality is fine, and quantity small. The visitor was a man, and he was smoking. Hmm. This is not like a professional fortune-teller. Such a one would be too desirous of impressing his dupe to spoil the gravity of the situation by smoking. The man must have been a friend, and he probably told the woman's fortune in this way to throw her off her guard. Let us look further." The chair in which the dead body was lying stood some little distance from the hangings of the wall. These, as Gebb discovered on further examination, had been draped back with a cord to reveal a small oil painting, but the cord, which had a loop at either end to slip over a brass nail, concealed beneath the hangings of satin, had been deftly removed, not torn, from its peg, and flung round the victim's neck. On the floor behind the chair, Gebb picked up a half-burnt cigarette, which had smouldered out. With this in his hand, he returned to the centre of the room, and looked once more at the cards. These attracted him strangely. Without doubt, the fortune-telling was a trick, he said aloud. The man set out the cards, and while his victim was selecting one, he lighted a cigarette, and rose to stroll round the room. Not suspecting any danger— which shows, by the way, that she must have trusted him. His victim let him pass behind her chair. While there, he slipped the loops of the cord off the nail. Then when she turned up the death card, a pure coincidence, no doubt, he threw the cord over her head and choked her before the poor wretch had time to call out for assistance. He then robbed the body at his leisure and left the house. It's as clear as day. Presuming that the murderer had gone out by the front door, Gebb left the room and went into the passage. To his surprise he found that the front door was locked, but, as the detective noted, not bolted. He must have locked it after he left the house, thought Gebb, and no doubt did so to prevent intrusion and a too sudden discovery of his crime. I expect he threw away the key when outside, in the front garden most probably. I'll look." Before he could put his design into execution, which he intended doing by passing out the back way, Mrs. Presk arrived downstairs with the intelligence that Inspector Lackland was still searching the upper portion of the house for traces of the assassin, but could find nothing and no one. So, said she, I expect the wretch ran away after killing poor Miss Ligram. By the front door, Gebb informed her, and he locked it after him. Did he? said Mrs. Presk with a stare. "'Now that's queer.' "'Why?' asked the detective sharply. "'Because Mrs. Ligram always kept the front door locked, and the key in her pocket. That was one of her queer ways, which I never could abide.' Without a word, Gebb returned to the yellow boudoir, and searched in the pocket of the dead woman. Sure enough, he found therein a large key, 
which Mrs. Presk immediately declared to be that of the front door. Geb was puzzled, as this discovery upset much of his previous reasoning. In that case the man could not have cleared out by the front door, he said, as not having the key, he could not lock the door after him. Let us see the back door. He may have escaped in that direction. The back door was locked, said Mrs. Presk promptly. I had the key in my pocket when I went to the lecture. Was the door locked when you returned? asked Geb, more puzzled than ever. Yes, sir, it was. I had no thought that anything was wrong until I came upstairs and saw the corpse. Though, to be sure, added Mrs. Presk suddenly, I fancied it strange that the light should be burning so late in Miss Ligram's boudoir. I saw them from the road, you know, Mr. Gabb, and the sight gave me a turn, I can tell you. He must have gone out through the back window, murmured Gabb. Indeed, he didn't, sir. When I brought Tilda out of her faint in the kitchen, I looked at all the windows in the basement. They're all bolted and barred proper. Tilda and me's both careful on account of burglars. Gebb pinched his chin and shook his head in a perplexed manner, after which he walked to the window of the yellow room and examined it carefully. It was fastened by a snick, the position of which showed that the window was closed and could not have been used as an exit. "'Let alone the danger of the cove being seen by a chance policeman and taken up as a burglar,' mused Gebb. "'What about the upstairs windows, Mrs. Presk?' "'They're all locked, sir. Mr. Inspector examined every one.' Then the man must be in the house still, was Gebb's final conclusion. He isn't, insisted Mrs. Presk, with a startled glance over her shoulder. We've looked under all the beds and into all the rooms and cupboards. Unless he is a sparrow on the housetop, I don't know where he can be. Well, there doesn't seem to be any way by which he could get out, said Gebb in a vexed tone. Did you hear any sound in the house when you arrived home? No, I didn't, sir. I went up to see if Miss Ligram was ill, as I noticed that her room was lighted up. Then I saw the corpse, and called Tilda, who ran up and fainted. She ain't got my nerves, Mr. Gebb. Did you lock the back door when you came in? Locks? No, sir. Tilda and me was in such a flurry to see if Miss Ligram was ill, that we just left the door anyhow. When you went upstairs, was the door closed too? I think so, replied Mrs. Presk, after a pause for Tilda banged to it, but it wasn't locked. I'll take my dying word on that. When you came for the police, did you leave by that door? Yes, I did. By the back door, as Miss Ligram kept the front one locked. Was it closed when you went out? Mrs. Presk looked up suddenly, rather alarmed. No, sir, it wasn't, she said in startled tones. It was, as you might say, ajar. Aha! said Gebb triumphantly. Then you may depend on it, Mrs. Presk, that when you came home the assassin was in the house. In the house? gasped Mrs. Presk. Lor, sir, it ain't possible. Yes, he did not know where to find the front door key, and discovering that the back door was locked, he just hid himself in the kitchen until you and the servant went upstairs to look on his handiwork. Then he slipped out to escape the consequences." Mrs. Presk's knees gave way, and she was fain to sit down, as far away from the dead body as possible, however. "'It's past believing,' she moaned, rocking herself to and fro. "'Lord, what an escape Tilda and Mees had from being strangulated!' "'Ugh!' she shuddered. "'Look at that poor soul, sir. Ain't it enough to freeze your blood?' 
"'Did it freeze yours that you ran out of the room?' asked Geb, hoping to take her unawares. "'No, it wasn't that,' whispered Mrs. Presk, turning pale. "'But I was afeard.' "'Of what?' asked the detective, rather puzzled. "'Of you, sir,' was the unexpected reply. "'Indeed. Then you know something about the matter?' "'Yes,' issued from the landlady's pale lips. "'I—I I noticed something.' "'What did you notice?' "'I daren't tell you.' "'You must.' Mrs. Presk rose and hastily made for the door. Before she could reach it, Geb had placed his back against it. "'You don't leave this room until I know what you are hiding.' "'I'm hiding nothing,' burst out Mrs. Presk. "'Haven't you got eyes?' She pointed toward the dead woman. "'Look!' she cried. "'Look!' End of chapter 2